a scuba diver was describing to a man about being in water so deep and so dark that it's almost impossible to keep from being disoriented. The man thought about how terrifying that would be. Being so far underwater, unable to see your hands in front of your face, losing your sense of direction, not knowing which way is up, panic engulfing you. The man asked the scuba diver, so what do you do in those moments? I feel the bubbles, the scuba diver said. Feel the bubbles, replied the man. That's right. When it's pitch black and you have no idea which way to go, you reach up with your hand and feel the bubbles. They always go up. The bubbles always rise to the surface. When you can't trust your feelings or your judgment, you can always trust and follow the bubbles to get you back up to the top. Sometimes in life, we too get disoriented. We trust our feelings. We trust our own judgment. We think what we are doing is right. But if we ignore the Gospel truth, we can be deceived and lose our way. That was the Apostle Paul's concern for the Colossians. False teachers had moved into the region and they were attempting to deceive and disorient these new believers with a blend of Christianity and Judaism and other Eastern philosophies. Their false teaching was enticing. It was slick. And it was subtle, meaning at first glance, their teaching seemed to make sense and appeared to be the truth. They spoke about Jesus. They used church lingo. They presented Christian-sounding ideas, and they claimed to be superior to the apostles. But if you followed the bubbles, so to speak, as Paul did, it was obvious that these false teachers had distorted the simple gospel truth that the Colossians had first learned. In a nutshell, these false teachers denied the deity of Christ. 
They denied that Jesus was God in the flesh and they denied that His finished work on the cross alone, alone, was sufficient to save. They claimed that if you really wanted to be accepted by God, if you really wanted to be saved, then Jesus was not enough. He was just a good starting point. And you needed to do more to get your salvation done. So with all that going on, this prompts Paul to give a warning with some very clear teaching on who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And that brings us to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 8, where he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy an empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the, war, of the world, rather than according to Christ. In this passage, Paul gives a warning to the church. See to it that no one takes you captive, which is a picture of being kidnapped and taken hostage. Something we hear about today. Paul sees the danger facing these Christians and he says, see to it that you're not kidnapped and taken hostage by false philosophy and empty deception whose ideas come from the minds of people. Ideas such as the legalistic traditions of men that are passed along as doctrine and no one dares question them and the principles of this wicked world that people tend to value and support. That word philosophy in the Greek simply means the love of wisdom. The love of wisdom. Which seems to be a good thing. But when it lures people away from Christ, when it rejects the wisdom found in God's Word, then it becomes nothing but a vain imagination of the mind. It's misguided. It doesn't help anybody live. It doesn't help anybody die. And it's deceptive. Someone has said, False philosophy is like a blind man looking in a dark room for a black cat that isn't there. 
Meaning, there really is no desire for the truth. And speaking of truth, oh, you're going to get me started. Speaking of truth, today we are being told you can have your truth and I can have my truth. Apparently, everybody can have their own truth, which is generally a rejection or a distortion of the truth, which is God's truth. As an example, a hot topic these days revolves around identity. If you are a biological male, you can identify as a female. And if you are a biological female, you can identify as a male. Or to really take a giant leap into the abyss of deception, you can identify as an animal. You can be a duck-billed platypus if you want. This is crazy. A teacher in my neck of the woods said, she, has, she is forbidden from, in her classroom from saying, hey, boys and girls. She can't say boys and girls. She has to say pupils or students. In that children's church back there, they're boys and girls. Amen. Boys and girls. All of this is mind-boggling. There is absolutely no basis in reality, and there is no basis in real truth. But even so, it has gained a foothold in our society and people are falling for it. To the Colossians and to us, Paul would say, it's all empty. It's empty. These ideas might seem enlightened. They might sound impressive. They might even appear liberating. But they're hollow. They're nothing but permissive and carnal illusions created by man. And if you dig a little deeper into this passage, they are inspired by evil spiritual forces. They don't come from the Lord. Instead, they are empty lies meant to mislead and carry people away into bondage. Am I angry today? Am I, am I all right? Am I all right? Okay, just checking. Okay. Anyway, that's Paul's warning. It's clear and direct, and it leads us to verse 9, where Paul simply responds to these lies with the truth, giving the clearest picture, maybe of anywhere, the clearest picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. 
Speaking of Jesus, Paul says, for in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete and He is the head over all rule and authority. Paul says that in Jesus, the deity lives in bodily form, in human flesh, meaning the fullness of God, the totality of God, His divine powers, His attributes and character, His authority and His glory are in Jesus. Jesus is, always has been, and always will be God. Jesus is fully God. And if you think that's something, look at verse 10. In Him, in Jesus who is fully God, you have been made complete. In your spiritual union with Jesus, you too have been brought to fullness. And you don't need anything else. You are complete. And you're going to hear that many times. You are complete in Christ. I like how Stephen Cole explains this. He says, when you were born into this world, you were born complete. Just hear me out. You don't grow arms and legs later like a tadpole. You've got everything you'll ever need. You can't use it all until you grow in age and in strength, but you got the whole package right from the start. In the same, it's the same spiritually. You get everything in Christ the instant you're born again. You are joined to Him in such an intimate way that Paul refers to it as being in Him. As a Christian, you are complete in Jesus. And in Him, you can't go any higher because He is head over all. You are in Him. You are complete and full in Him. You have all you need and therefore, your spiritual growth is not about addition. It's about nutrition. You are being rooted and built up in Him, growing from the inside out. You have everything you need, and Paul would ask, why then do you need 
anything else. Why then would you need anything else? That's Paul's question. And it's a good question because apparently the false teachers were telling the believers in Colossae that Jesus was not enough. They were not complete in Him. And they needed to submit to various acts of religious legalism to truly be accepted by God. That's what the Colossians were being confronted with. It was what I like to call a Jesus plus teaching. Jesus plus. You need Jesus plus something else. Something religious. Something you do to earn your salvation and to be accepted by God. That's what the Colossians were facing. This Jesus plus teaching. And beginning with verse 11, Paul begins to poke big old holes in it. He says, And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Okay? Made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I see it in your eyes. So Paul just said to the Colossian believers that they were complete. They were full in Christ. But these false teachers would say, so you believe in Jesus? That's great. That's great. Good for you. But, that's a big but, but, there are some additional steps you have to take to be accepted by God. And one of these additional steps was apparently circumcision. So let's talk about that for a moment. Yeah. If you remember in the Old Testament, back in Genesis, beginning with, with Abraham, God gave the Jewish people the sign of circumcision as a way of indicating that they were His chosen people. This was a a physical act, a minor surgery, okay? A physical act which symbolized a much greater spiritual reality. A reality of God's covenant of faith with His people. 
a spiritual reality that over time the Jews completely missed. They focused on the physical act. And they felt superior and secure and entitled to blessings because of it. The Jews just went through the motions. They did the act. They did the act, but they completely missed the spiritual reality behind it. A reality they were often reminded of. Listen to what Moses said. All the way back to Moses. Listen to what he said to God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. He said, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Now much later in Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 28, Paul really hammers the point home. He says, and on this passage I'm using the the New Living Translation, okay? It says, For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. So yes, circumcision involved a physical act. Okay? It involved a physical act. But that act was only symbolic of a much greater spiritual reality that involved a change of heart. The turning away of sin from sin and the, and the being separated unto God. To the Colossians, Paul says, for those who are complete in Christ they have already been circumcised without hands. So from that we know definitely that Paul is speaking about the circumcision of the heart. And it's something that spiritually happens at the moment of salvation. 
This is a spiritual circumcision of the heart where God cuts away the carnal nature that had power over you. When you were born again, you received the circumcision of your heart. The cutting away of the sinful influence that dominated you. And in Christ, you can now say no to the things that you once said yes to. The temptation is there. Let's make no mistake there. But in Christ, we can now say no to it. You are complete in Christ. He's broken the dominance of sin that once governed your life. So when it comes to circumcision, Paul would say that Christians are complete in Christ and that already includes the real circumcision made without hands. And thank God, for I don't want that on my job description as a pastor. Just saying. Just. <laughs> now verse 12 brings us to baptism. And the exact same principle applies. The exact same principle applies. Paul says, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. The physical act of baptism, okay, which is an act of obedience, is merely symbolic of a much greater spiritual reality that also takes place at the moment of salvation. That word baptism means to immerse. Means to immerse. As one immerses fabric into dye. D-Y-E. As one immerses fabric into dye to change its color. The dye completely permeates the fabric. Correct? The dye permeates the fabric. And it's not just fabric anymore. It's colored fabric. It's colored fabric. And in the same spiritual sense, we too are identifying with Christ. When you were born again, when you were born again, 
immediately. You are spiritually immersed into the body of Christ. It's a spiritual reality which is later symbolized by water baptism as an act of obedience. And just for clarification, water baptism is not an act you do to be saved. Water baptism is something you do because you are saved. Again, it's a physical act which is symbolic of a much greater spiritual reality. That being in Him, whatever happened to Christ also happened to you. That's the reality. In our spiritual union, in our spiritual connection with Christ, we identify with Him. And as such, Paul says that in Christ we have been buried with Him. When He was buried, our old, dominating, sinful life was buried with Him. Our spiritual death was buried with Him. Our separation from God was buried with Him. But it doesn't stop there. If you continue with Paul's thought, you are also raised up with Christ in a newness of life. And it's in this new life that we walk with Jesus. So what is Paul telling the Colossians and what is he telling us? Well, it is this. We are complete in Christ. And at the moment of our salvation, as if we were transported way back in time, we shared in what Jesus accomplished through His death, burial, and resurrection. That's what He's saying. Now beginning with verse 13, Paul continues with his train of thought. And he says, When you were dead in your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. If I told you 
I've been hanging, hanging around the cemetery preaching to the dead. You'd probably think Bob has lost it. And you could be true, it could be right. But in a very real sense, that's what we're doing whenever we speak to lost people about Jesus. Apart from Christ, people aren't just spiritually confused or misguided. They are dead. They're dead. And Paul says that we too were once dead. When we were without Christ, walking around, living our lives as if God did not matter, rejecting His grace and His forgiveness and His salvation, we too were dead. We were dead in our sins. Separated from God. But... We were made alive in Christ, in Him, having been forgiven of all, and circle that little word in your Bible, because all means what? All. All our transgressions. There is no more separation with God. He canceled. He blotted out. He wiped away the bill of debt that was held against us. All of it. He wiped away your debt. The debt was accurate. It was real. It was true. And it was legal. For laws and commandments were broken by us. But it was all wiped away when Jesus bore our sins on the cross. The Father laid on Jesus all of our sins. Every last one of them. Sins of the past, sins of the present, and sins of the future. They were all nailed to the cross as if it was the Lord's crime. On the cross, bring that. On the cross, above the Lord's head was a board which read, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. This board was supposed to to state the crime for which the person being crucified was charged. But this is what Pilate had written. The Jewish religious leaders wanted the board changed to read, he said he was the king of the Jews to reflect the crime of blasphemy 
against God. And I say all of that to say this. That board above his head could just as well included your sins and my sins written down as crimes against God. And Jesus paid for them all. A ten-year-old boy wanted to be a pastor when he grew up. One day, when the family's black cat died, he had an opportunity to do some practice preaching by conducting a funeral. The boy found a shoebox and put the kitten inside. When he placed the cover on the box, the tail wouldn't fit in. So he cut a hole in the lid so that the long, furry tail could stick out. Then he rounded up his friends, preached a short sermon that he carefully prepared, and buried the cat in a shallow grave. When the service was over, he noticed that the tip of the pet's tail was still sticking out of the ground. Every two or three days, curiosity got the better of him. And he would secretly pull up the cat by the tail and then rebury it. Eventually, the tail came off. Sorry. And the body finally remained buried. How many of us do that with our forgiven sins? We confess our sins, but we continue to drag them up even though God considers the ugly things buried once and for all. Our sins were nailed to His cross and now we are made alive in Christ. No longer dead and no longer separated from God. We are complete in Christ and we are alive in Him because He is alive. We can walk with Him and we can follow Him in obedience out of love, not out of fear. And we can leave the cat buried. So Jesus paid our sin debt in full and He wants the world to know it. Look at verse 15. When he, referring to Jesus, had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. 
This is an interesting picture painted for us by Paul. When he speaks of Jesus disarming the rulers and authorities, bring up that picture. The picture is of a Roman general's triumphal parade into the city. That's what he's, that's what he's picturing here. In the parade, the Roman general and his forces would proudly march down the main street amongst a cheering crowd, and with them would be the conquered enemy who were stripped of their armor and paraded in chains as spoils of war. When Christ willingly gave His life on the cross to pay for our sins, Satan and his evil forces were stripped of their power over us. They can no longer rightfully accuse us because Christ has paid our debt in full. They can no longer hold us captive through the fear of death because Christ won the victory over Satan and over death on the cross. His victory was confirmed when God raised Him from the dead. And we who believe are raised with Him, not fighting for victory, but fighting in victory. Because the battle has already been won. So when the enemy accuses you, and he will, when the enemy harasses you and tells you to dig up the dead cat, tell him to take it up with Jesus who has won the victory over sin, over death, and over Satan. In Christ, we are complete. And in Him, we are alive and have everything we need. We're no longer dominated by the power of sin. We can say no to those things that we once said yes to. Our sin debt has been paid in full. We're no longer separated from a holy God. And now by grace, not by fear, we are free to walk in a loving relationship with our Lord and Savior. Jesus is God. And He alone did all we need for salvation. And, and to add anything to His completed work, even if it is a religious thing, would be a disgrace. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for, for time in Your Word. I thank You for these passages in particular. 
Father, we are complete in Christ. We have everything we need because of Him. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for Your patience. Thank You for Your forgiveness. Thank You for Your love. In Jesus we have it all. Why would we need anything else? Father, I pray that over and over and over again you would remind us of that reality. We are complete in Christ. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we need to get to know God's Word. We need to be in His Word. And we need to reject anything, anything and everything that would serve as a substitute for Him. We need to recognize it, we need to resist it, and we need to reject it outright. Jesus is enough. We are complete. We are full in Him. He is all we need. And to add anything to Him is a Jesus plus teaching. I don't care how religious it sounds. That's what it is. We are complete in Him. He is enough. Now maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Please let me introduce you to Him. I would love to talk to you about Him. He loves you more than you will ever know. I can't express it in words. He loves you. And He proved it. He went to a cross for you. What else could He do to prove how much He loved you? What else? Is there something better? No. If you don't know Jesus, I would love to talk with you about Him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you here. Or maybe you just need prayer. Maybe the Spanish class is terrifying you. you, need pr- you need, I need to, you know, we need to pray about it. <laughs> Whatever the case may be, I would just ask that you'd respond to him in obedience. Because it's the right thing to do. A couple of days ago, I was at the gym doing very little because my back still hurts, but I was there. You know, I had the man up. Looked like a grandpa, but I was there. And a young man came to me. He, he, he applied. He's applying for a, a state job as a, like a, a national parks or, or a, works for... Forestry Service. Yeah, Forestry Service. There you go. There you go. Forestry Service. 
And he said, he came to me, he goes, hey, I've, I've got my application all done. I'm having a problem with one question. I go, what's, what's the question? Well, there's a question about, about drug use. I'm not really sure how to answer that. Now, I know there's got to be a Christian. I go, you don't know how to answer that? I go, how, how do you think you should answer that? Which, what's, your, what's, your, what's your Bible tell you? What's your Christian principles tell you? To be honest, there you go. Then you be honest about your drug use. And if you're not hired because you were honest, then God meant for you to go somewhere else. But you have to be honest. You have to obey Him. And so this morning, if God is just impressing upon your heart to do something, then just do it. Obey Him. Okay? Worship team.